If you would, grab your uh, pew Bibles or the Bibles you brought with you and turn to uh, Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. Uh, if you were with us last week, we looked at uh, the first six verses uh, of this chapter. And this morning we're going to look at uh, verses 7 through uh, 18. It's John the Baptist uh, preparing the way uh, for Christ uh, in his first advent or first uh, appearing among us in his uh, immediate uh, ministry. But before we dig into this passage, uh, maybe it's helpful just to kind of prepare our hearts uh, for what we're moving into. If you're like me, it's easy to, to come to church and uh, feel half here and half not here. Uh, to kind of move into this sanctuary. It's kind of a half-hearted feel. Uh, you you want to be here and you want to worship and uh, pray and, and uh, hear the word and things like that. But at the same time, uh, we're distracted. Uh, stuff going on at work, stuff in our, in our families, and so we feel we're kind of halfway here. And some of you may come to a Sunday morning like this and you feel frustrated or you feel disappointed some of us feel lonely at times. Some of us are full of, of grief. Some of us maybe are full of, of self-pity, envy maybe as you think about other people and what's going on there. Or you just feel uh, unforgiving. Uh, somebody has, has done something, wronged you in a certain way, and it's rubbed you the certain way. And as a result, regardless of where you're feeling, we move into this time and we kind of feel kind of half-hearted uh, about things. And there's many reasons for that. Uh, maybe somebody has disappointed you this past week. You had these expectations of them, and they didn't meet those things. And there's a gap there. Uh, something has disappointed you maybe this week. It didn't work out like you were expecting. You didn't get the news that you were hoping to hear. Uh, that appointment didn't work out. That situation didn't work out. Something with your spouse has let you down or is really getting underneath your skin. Uh, Christian counselors are, will explain those gaps that we feel, those disappointments, if you will, as those, those times in our lives where we look to the creature to give us something that only the creator can give to us. Meaning we look around at our situations uh, at our relationships, at our stuff, our goals, agendas, and we put a, a weight upon those things and we say to it, give me life, give me joy, give me contentment, give me peace, give me security. And when those things let us down, there's disappointment, there's self-pity, there's grief, there's anger, there's frustration, there's distance. And God says to us, I'm the only one that can give you ultimate life. I'm the only one that can give you that kind of joy, that kind of peace, that kind of security that you're looking for. And the beauty of God's word is that it fills that gap. It reminds us of that truth, that he is our creator God, that we are his creatures. He's created us to, to know him and to find life in him. And God gives us his word to renew us and to remind us and to strengthen us and to help close that gap, so to speak. So with this in mind, let's stand as you're able for the reading of God's word. We'll read Luke chapter 3, starting in verse 8, excuse me, in verse 7, and we'll move through verse uh, 18. Let's hear God's word. 
John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And you not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that, at the, at these, that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? The crowd asked. John answered, Anyone who has two shirts should share with the, share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teachers, they, teacher, they said, what should we do? Do you not collect any more than you are required to? He told them. Then some soldiers asked him, what should we do? He replied, do not extort money and do not accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all were wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water. But one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but God's word lasts and remains forever. Will you pray with me? Father, we need to hear this uh, good news. We need to hear and be drawn closer to you in the midst of this passage in this season of Advent. So speak to us and show us your truth. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. I want to jump right into this uh, passage and uh, talk about uh, how I want to to look at it and what it, I think, has for us as we are in this uh, time of Advent. Uh, Advent means coming, it means uh, arrival, and John the Baptist is that guy uh, on the streets uh, announcing this arrival to the people. Uh, John is that prophet, that Old Testament prophet, filling that void of 400 years of silence. where God has not been speaking uh, directly and clearly to his, his people as he has been characterized to do, and John steps in and makes this announcement, preparing the way uh, for Christ uh, to be, uh, begin his ministry. And so as I th- think about this passage and how I wanted to break it down and for us to, to think about it and what it means for us in this season of Advent, I want to think about uh, three things. First, I want to think about how does this passage encourage us to examine ourselves How does this passage help us to understand the fruit of repentance? And how does this passage point us to somebody greater? Okay, Examine ourselves, fruit of repentance, and how it points us to somebody uh, greater. It seems kind of choppy, but it'll it'll come together as we move through it. Uh, First, how does this passage help us to examine ourselves or to think about uh, who we are in, in light of God and his arrival and his coming? And there's three questions I think we can pull from this passage that this John and his ministry is, is asking of us. And the first one is this, am I willing to be transformed? As I think about Advent, I think about Christ in my life, am I willing to be transformed? Verse 7, he said, therefore to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. 
Okay, this is John being concerned about the audience that's before him, about the crowds that are out there with him. And he's saying, in effect, just because you're here and just because you've engaged in this baptism, that doesn't mean it's the end of the story. doesn't mean it's the end of the line. Uh, There's more to it than that, than just going through the motions here. And so John looks at this crowd that's before him, and he calls them a brood of vipers. You may not know exactly what that means, but you know if somebody called you that on Facebook that you would be deeply offended and that wouldn't be a compliment and it wouldn't win you a lot of likes. Uh, Basically, he calls them children of Satan. Uh, He could say to this audience that's before him, because they're mostly Jewish people, he could say, you know, you children of God, uh, you the ones that are belonging to God, but he doesn't use that language. Instead, he picks something that's a little bit more edgy. And what I think he's doing, he's trying to communicate to this audience that what is going down is very serious. He's wanting to get their attention. He wants to, to say, this is very weighty, what's going on here. Don't just go through the motions of this. It don't, just because you're baptized, just because you, you've done this, doesn't mean that's the end of the story. He compares them to snakes that, that, that flee when there's a, fl- a fire lit uh, there in the brush. So they're just kind of trying to escape uh, the danger that's there. Uh, it's, don't look at it like that. Don't act like that. Don't think about it like that. It's much more than that. And so the question for us is, do you want to be transformed? Because uh, following Christ, preparing ourselves for Advent, is more than walking an aisle. It's more than praying a prayer. It's more than being baptized. It's so much deeper than that. What John is asking, do you want to be transformed? Do you want to see God work in your life? Will you take him seriously in your heart, in your life, in your activities? Something else he asks, what are you trusting in? Uh, What are the things you are trusting in? Again, he's talking to Jewish people, and he's concerned about where they're drawing their identity from. In verse 8, And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Don't be confident in your relationship with God because you come from Abraham, because you're a Jew, because you belong to that nation, because you belong to that people. Don't put your confidence there because that's not where your confidence should rest. God is able to to powerfully work in anybody's life in any way that he wants to. And so think about it maybe like this for us today. Just because you're part of a a church doesn't mean that's your guarantee, that's your security, that should be your identity in relationship to God. Just because your family members uh, are, are deeply involved in the church and are Christians doesn't mean that that's where you draw your, your security or guarantee for where you're at uh, spiritually. Uh, God is at work in his people. God works uh, powerfully in his people. God gives us his son for us to rest in and to know that's where our trust lies. That's where our identity lies. That's where our security lies. Not in walking the aisle, not in uh, being a member of a church, not in giving, not in doing, not in serving, not in having the right relationships and being identified with the right people, 
but our identity, our security, our hope is in Christ. He's our only hope in life and death, who he is and what he has done for us. And John is going to move forward, as we saw it in the last verse that we read, with this good news. This good news about Christ. He is our identity. He is our rest. He is our security. It's our relationship with him, not in our cultural background, not in our activities, not in our name. Last question I think we can pull from this passage is this. Are you drifting? Are you drifting? And in other words, by not making a decision, you're making a decision In verse 9, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. The axe is laid at the tree. There's some other verses in this passage that we read that that hint at this eschatology, end times, the, the future, what theologians like to talk about, what's going to happen, the second coming of Christ his second advent. We celebrate his first advent as a baby in a manger, his ministry to us here on earth, but we also anticipate his second coming, his second arrival uh, when he comes again. And John is, is warning them that this is coming, and be careful that you don't drift into it. But because by drifting, you're making a decision, even though you think you're not making a decision. In our house, we have uh, two kids, two great kids, younger kids. And when I come home, or when my wife comes home and we haven't seen them, they'll greet us with open arms. Daddy, how are you doing? It's so good to see you. And we're just the greatest thing ever uh, to them. But that's going to change. And I know it's going to change because they know how to brush their teeth. They know how to dress themselves. Okay? They know how to buckle themselves in the car. They know how to read. They know how to write. They're getting older. They're going to mature. They're going to go away to school. They're going to get married. They're going to have jobs of their own. They're going to start to have their own family. And I'm no longer going to be able to come home and have this greeting from them like I'm the greatest thing ever. It's going to change. It should change. It's natural. It's what we expect. But in a sense, that's the axe at the root of the tree. Because I can't go back. I can't always live with them at this age. I can't always live with them in that circumstance. It's going to change. It's going to grow. Things are naturally going to evolve. And John is saying to us, the axe is by the tree. It's going to come down. Things aren't always going to be like they are today. Are you drifting into that? Because by drifting, you're making a decision. You're saying something about what you want and what you desire and what you expect. In other words, by being unintentional, you're being intentional. And John is warning us about that drifting, warning us about what could happen and what will happen if we don't pay attention to this arrival that's before us, this advent that's with us. Some of you hear these questions, and you hear these warnings, and you wonder, okay, I see some areas to work out, some things I need to change and things I need to do. What does that look like? Where do I go from here? What's the next step for me? John would simply say, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. 
We talked about repentance some last week, if you were here with us, in the beginning part of this passage, 1 through 6. We talked about the idea of repentance. It's a change of our mind. We change how we view ourselves. It's a change how we view our circumstances. It's a change in understanding how we view God in our life. We believe his promises are true. And we evaluate who we are in light of that. And we move in a different direction. It's about changing our mind. But there's more to repentance. And I think John in this passage draws that out. Last week we talked about the desire to change, which is part of repentance. But the fruit of repentance gets at more as the commitment to change. It's one thing to have a desire to change. It starts in our hearts and starts in God convicting, God realizing some things within us. But it doesn't end there. And it moves into what, what John calls here the fruit of repentance, this commitment to change. Think about a commitment to change or think about the fruit of repentance as this. A fruit of repentance or a commitment to change is putting into reversal uh, the sin habits in our lives, the bad decisions, the bad behaviors, the, the bad character that's forming within us. It's putting, uh, uh, seeking to reverse that, seeking to, to change that. Think about the three examples that are in this passage, the crowd, the tax collectors, and the soldiers, and how he says, this is what the fruit of repentance looks like in your life. To the crowds, they come to him and say, okay, John, you have this message for us about Christ and his advent coming again. What does that mean for me? What does that mean for us as, as a crowds? He basically says to him what? He says, be generous. You've got an extra shirt, give it to somebody in need. You've got extra food, give it to somebody in need. Stop living for yourself. Stop living for your own agenda. Stop living for your own comfort, your own security, whatever it is. Be generous. Give stuff away. Think about other people. Let that be the new pattern. That's the new pattern. That's the new uh, fruit of repentance. That's the new uh, commitment to change in their life. The tax collectors come to them, and, and they say, what do we do? And John says, stop skimming from the top. Stop cheating. Stop getting more money from these people than is necessary. Do your job. Do it with integrity. Do it rightly. That's what repentance looks like for you. To the soldiers, the soldiers come and they say the same thing. What, what do we do? How do we respond to this message? What does fruit of repentance look like in our lives? And John says to them, stop taking advantage of people. Stop using your position in power and authority and just sheer physical force and violence that you could bring upon people to get stuff from them. Be content with your wages. Be content with what God in his province has provided for you. That's what it looks like to reverse this, this the trend in their lives and to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Some of us may not be guilty of these. We don't fall in these three kind of categories. But there are things in our lives that we need to reverse, trends in our lives that we need to reverse. And the Bible calls that fruit of repentance. It's why repentance is more than confessing our sin. It's more than saying, you know, I messed up in this relationship, and you close the chapter and you move on. But fruit of repentance means how are you going to reverse that pattern? What are you going to do in response to that? How are you going to move away from those things. In other words, as God gets in our lives, sometimes we have moments of conviction. 
The Holy Spirit says to us, this is wrong. You need to confess this. You need to respond to this. And he's inviting us into this fruit of repentance to reverse this pattern that's in our lives so that we can grow closer to him, so that we can see him more real in our lives. The thing about repentance is it's very different from regret. It's different from regret. We can get caught up in something and we see what we've done and we see how we've, we've hurt a relationship or we've uh, done something shameful and we have regret about that. And we cry about it and we moan about it and we uh, can't believe I did that and we beat ourselves up. But that's not repentance. That's not leading you to change. It's one thing to say I'm a really bad person and I did this thing and I got caught and I got exposed for it. It's another thing to say, God, I sinned against you when I did this. This dishonored you and I want you to deal with this. I want you to help me. I want you to change me. I want you to respond to this in my life. I I need you. I'm weak. I, I, I do these things. I have a brokenness in my, in my marriage. I don't respond to my children like I should. Uh, I'm, I'm scared about our financial insecurity. I have all these things going on, and I respond with, with, uh, with anger or controlling. I do these things. God, would you speak into my life? Would you help me to find security and rest in you? And here's the thing. For that fruit of repentance to be real in our lives, for us to really see change, and to move past regret, remorse, or, or the feelings that I want to change because I got found out or I'm scared I will get found out, we've got to see something deeper about who God is. And that's the beauty of John and his ministry. He says there's somebody greater that's coming. Because here are these crowds, they're gathered around him. You see it begin to, to come out in verse 15. They're hearing John's message, and he speaks with such power and such weight and such authority He's calling sin, sin. He's calling people out. And they begin to wonder, maybe he's the guy. Maybe he's the Messiah. Maybe he's the one that we're looking for. Maybe we need to to attach ourselves to him. And John says to them, no, I am not the guy. Somebody greater is coming. He's, you know, I'm baptizing with water, but he's going to come and baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire, he's going, to, he's going to provide real change in your life. He's going to give you real truth. It's going to be real to you. You're going to feel it. You're going to know it because it's from the Spirit. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. That's how much he saw Christ as, as greater and much more valuable than who he was. But think about the ministry of Jesus as it unfolds in, in the rest of the Gospels. That's not necessarily how he sees himself. He doesn't see himself or doesn't come to us as above and, 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 and more deserving of, of greater honor and live that way because he's not scared to deal with our sandals. He's not scared to deal with the dirt that's in our lives. He's not scared to come to us and be a servant. Probably the classic picture of this is Jesus in the night before he was arrested and betrayed. There, he and the disciples are having a Passover meal together. And at one point in their time together, he breaks them apart. He gets a bin, water, a cloth. He says, I want to wash your feet. Each one of them takes off their sandals, and he scrubs, and he cleans. Peter 
Andrew, James, John, even Judas, who in a few moments is going to betray him with a kiss. It's a picture of Christ's humility for sure. It's a picture of Christ coming to serve. But it's a picture of what he's going to do. He's going to make you clean. He's going to wipe away that dirt that's in your life. He's going to make it where you don't know shame and guilt anymore. He's going to make it so that you feel comfortable being exposed, being found out, because he wants to give you grace, forgiveness, truth. And many of us here in this room, we hear that message. Christ, you forgive sinners. Uh, your, Your word is good news to me. You save me. I know that truth. But we don't experience the reality of that truth in our lives. It doesn't feel real to us. God, I know you forgive, but why do I feel overwhelmed with guilt and shame? And why am I so fearful to to be around other people? Why am I so scared to go to church? Because I might be found out. I know you forgive, but I'm still feeling guilt and shame. I, I know that your word is good news, but why am I so disappointed by my circumstances? Why am I so disappointed by people? Your word is true. Why am I so disappointed? God, I know that you are really there, and you're true, and your word is everlasting, and you are my only hope in life. But where's my joy? Why am I so sad all the time? Why am I overwhelmed by loneliness and depression if you're really true and you're really there? There's a movie called The the Shawshank Redemption. And one of the characters, it's basically a prison movie. And one of the characters is a man named Red, who's played by Morgan Freeman. In essence, he's been in prison all of his adult life, some 40 years, 40 years. One place, one situation in jail. And his day comes, and he's released from prison. And uh, he gets a job at a grocery store bagging groceries. And you see clips of him working in this grocery. He's putting all this stuff in, and then he'll turn, he'll turn to the boss, to the manager, and say, hey, can I go to the bathroom? And he says, yes, you can go. And he does this all the time. Boss, can I do this? Boss, can I do that? Because that's all he knows. That's his experience all of his adult life. He's always had to ask permission to go to the bathroom, permission to do this or that. And you look at the manager, and he's so frustrated you don't have to ask me these things, is what he wants to scream out to him. And one day, the, the grocery store is packed. It's like a holiday weekend or something, and it's just chaos. There's people everywhere. It's busy, 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 and it feels real stressful. And he's trying to do these groceries, and all these women are asking, can you do this? Can you do that? I need paper. I don't want plastic, all this kind of stuff. And he's just kind of freaking out. It's just getting to him. And he turns to his manager, can I go to the bathroom? And he goes to the bathroom. He doesn't have to go to the bathroom. And he goes into one of the stalls, and he closes the door, and he just puts his hands on the walls. What's he doing? It feels safe to him. It feels familiar to him. Because he knows he's free, but in his mind, in his experience, prison is his place of security. Those walls give him comfort. Many of us live this way. In our heads, we know that the gospel is true. We know it's good news. He know that he has released us from our sin and from our guilt and from our shame. 
And he promised us joy and goodness. But we're still living in that prison. That's the thing that we look, turn to time and time and time again for comfort. We turn to our addictions. We turn to our overindulging. We turn to this or that to give us comfort. When God is saying to us, when John is reminding us in these words that God is giving you good news, he really does love you. He really does forgive you. He really does give you hope and life. He really does give you something to sing about. This is John preparing us for Advent. This is John saying to us, this is what Advent means. This is what the coming, the arrival means. It means that Christ comes into your life in a real way. The gospel, the good news, is not advice. It is not information. It is your hope. It is your life. It is your source of joy. It is your identity. When your relationships fall apart, when you're disappointed by your circumstances, when you get the bad report from your doctor, he is your security. He is your good news. He is not your good advice. He is not your uplifting word for the day. He is your reality. He is your identity. He has done it all for you. And he says, come and rest. Come and know. Come and believe. Will you pray with me? Father God, we are a people that struggle with our sin. We struggle with our circumstances. Uh, We are easily disappointed. Father God, forgive us for not believing and embracing the reality of your good news for us. Your life given to us. Your arrival into our worlds. Father God, we need more of you. We need to be convinced more so of all that you are. And so use this season of Advent to bring us into a time of reflection and to move us closer to you, to reverse those patterns of of sin in our lives so that we can see you more clearly and more fully. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.